Today's scripture reading is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 12. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the lying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. This is the word of the Lord. Hello. Good morning. That was quite the sentence, wasn't it? I think that was two sentences. Paul is giving Charles Dickens a run for his money. Um, so the, the slides are not going to throw me off because I never preach with slides. So here we go. There are a great many things that parents may wish to impress upon their children. Uh, same with teachers. Likely, um, they are hoping that their pupils catch more than just what's required to pass the MCAS. The retiring president at Gordon-Conwell, um, he addressed the students uh, in, a, graduate, in a, a speech for those graduating with uh, something on final words, uh, what people say uh, when they know their time is short. On one instance, um, a criminal sits under house arrest awaiting trial. Um, he's sitting in low light, his vision's going, and he knows his end is near. And he writes a letter to his criminal associate, more like a son than a business partner, and the, the prisoner seems to have accepted his faith that the sun is setting on his day. And so he looks to the dawn of the next generation. Not all criminals are selfish, apparently. Um, in fact, this criminal association, um, it preserved the letter, uh, which is now published. Um, and so you could describe Paul's second letter to Timothy. Instructions on what to do next. Asking if he will take the torch and continue running. Maybe Paul's race has been won. Maybe his fight has been fought. But his, the mission of God is bigger than Paul. Um, and it has to be taken up anew by every generation. Um, now, in the church I grew up, there were a good number of uh, quirky practices, um, some, some quirky rites of passage. And my favorite quirky pa uh, practice was a knighting ceremony um, sometime in high school. I remember literally taking a knee in front of the congregation, being declared an ambassador, son of the king, whose life was for the nations of the world, and having a sword touch both my shoulders. And I, I've come to think of this practice as, as something between baptism and a commissioning. Um, it's an identity for me to step into, a calling uh, for me to step up into what the Bible says I am. 
Um, and there's a fairly large comical gap between the acne-bearing, socially awkward, authority-challenging teenage me and this title of an ambassador's son, or an ambassador's son of the king. Um, I mean, if my hair is clown-like now, you can imagine what it looked like then. I want you to consider something. The church could have died with the apostles. It could have died with the, the crowds that followed Jesus, or with the first generation after that, or with any subsequent generation. But it didn't. It's been more like in the opening ceremonies of the Olympics, every generation of Christians have carried the torch onto the next, and not just evangelism through procreation, like literally bringing new people into the faith. Um, the fact that we even have a second book of Timothy is sure enough proof that, that Timothy picked up the torch, um, and he carried it. So we're concluding our series on evangelism, um, and we begin a new series next week on listening to God. So I think the, the bridge between those, I was thinking, let's listen to God's word through Paul to Timothy. Um, Paul has a number of things he wants to convey to Timothy, but at the heart of this is to trust God. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't fear suffering. There are some things worse than prison and some things worthy to suffer for. God is on your side, so don't take on an identity inferior to, to who you are in Christ. Don't be timid. God gives you power. Instead, use everything you've got so that people will turn to God and see the hope that Jesus offers. I mean, it's a good commission. The first verse in Timothy's commission instructs him this is verse 6, to fan into flame the gift of God. He says this in verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is, through you, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. It's a word picture here for developing your God-given aptitude. Um, in Paul's first letter to Timothy, Paul actually speaks about this gift. It's, uh, that's what chapter 4 is all about. In chapter 4, verse 14, he says, do not neglect your gift, which was given to you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. I mean, Timothy had a gift for ministry. He had a, a, a gift. He was able to start churches. He was a pastor. He had a pastor's heart. He taught. He preached. He publicly evangelized. And Paul uh, was at this service where church leaders, elders, actually laid hands on him and commissioned him to take up this calling. So Paul tells Timothy, he reminds him to fan into flame the gift that, God has, that he has received from God. Um, he says, express it, don't hold it back, let it grow, um, which means to continue to develop the skill so, so as to not waste it. Each of us in the church has God-given aptitude and different interests which we're called to develop and exercise. There are some 22 examples of the countless spiritual gifts that are listed in scripture, or there are 22 examples in scripture, but the gifts are countless. Um, the fact that differently abled and differently minded people can, can each effectively participate in the ministry of evangelism was brought home to me the summer I worked at Alpha in London. Um, I think I grew up with the idea that evangelism was a solo gig. Um, or at least the idea that it was a skill that looked a certain way and everyone needed to learn that in order to be a faithful Christian. 
I mean, I, I grew up in the era of trading candy for Christian tracts on Halloween, cleverly dubbed as tract or treating to trick kids into thinking it would be fun. It was not fun. It's not fun. Now, Alpha is all about evangelism. It's reached tens of millions of people with an introduction to the Christian faith. But it's been developed in such a way as to employ those with gifts of hospitality, administration, teaching, party planning. At the heart of the model is uh, a weekly Alpha night that occurs every single Wednesday of the year. There are 12 weeks of the study followed by a neighborhood party on week 13, which repeats forever, just goes on forever. 13 weeks, four times a year, 52 weeks, you get the picture. Um, when you walk into an alpha night, it feels a lot like going to church, honestly. Um, maybe a little bit like church in reverse. So you, you go in first and eat dinner and have fellowship, and then you stick around for the God part. Um, when you walk in, the chairs are set up in circles. Greeters meet you at the door. There are people that help you to queue in line. People serve you food and drink, and other people prepare that food and drink ahead of time. People guide you in the discussion. Um, they guide you to the discussion circle, and there are discussion leaders. After a bit of banter, there's, you experience, I think, church light, L-I-T-E, church light. A few worship songs, some basic uh, message outlining some central idea of the Christian faith, and then you talk about it in small groups. Um, an administrator comes up at the end and goes over a few housekeeping matters. They let people know when the Alpha weekend is going to be, when the block party is going to be. I mean, the summer I was there, it was a pig roast, which was a lot of fun. Um, they, the administrator tells people where the bins are, where the bathrooms are, and then they dismiss everyone. Um, what was so striking to me was that the church came together in a shared evangelistic enterprise, um, but with everyone using their unique gifts. Uh, with people being trained up in different areas. I mean, people that felt like they wanted to learn how to run a kitchen, I mean, they'd spend a year or so fanning the flame, seeking to develop the gift to see if it grew into something that would have kingdom impact potential. Would-be ministers sat at the feet of Nikki Gumbel and other uh, of the pastors at, at HTB. They, they got opportunities to pray, and they learned the art of public evangelism. Um, and young musicians, they might help with sound and setup. They get the chances to play guitar with the volume really low. Um, but everyone came together um, around the structure uh, and the practices of Alpha Night every Wednesday, which was a pretty easy thing to invite people to, especially the block party on week 13. You know, don't be fooled into thinking that evangelism is a jello mold that you have to press yourself into to please God. The, the gift you, you are called to embody and to develop is something that is probably something that's very well suited for your personality and, and who you are as a person. We develop our gifts by exercising those things, um, fanning them into flame, growing the, the muscles of our faith through repeated use until the gifts eventually fit us like old softened shoes. Um, verse 7 is to encourage us in this. Um, verse 7 goes like this. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I mean, there's an identity piece here. Choosing to grow into what God has called you to be. Choosing not to be fearful, timid, or ashamed in the way you exercise your gifting, your God-given aptitude for his service. Recognizing that fear doesn't come from God. 
Um, God doesn't make us faint-hearted or cowardly in our service. God's spirit um, that lives in you if, you, if you believe in him, it gives us power and love and self-discipline. The implication in Paul's introduction to not be ashamed, to take up this torch, essentially to carry on Paul's public task of evangelism comes out in verse 8. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I mean, testimony here carries the same thrust of meaning as the gospel itself. There's some parallelism between the verses. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about the Lord. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel. Don't be ashamed, embarrassed of the gospel, we could say. I mean, Paul articulates the, the meaning, um, or he, he actually... He actually expresses what he believes the gospel to be in verses 9 to 11, to which we can say amen. God has saved us and called us by, uh, to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and teacher. So Paul Im invites Timothy to, to join this work with him, even as Paul is under house arrest. Um, it's clear from this, this section actually after our passage that, that certain people had deserted Paul. Um, and there, there were a lot of people that claimed to follow Jesus that turned their back on him. But Actually, to desert Paul would be to reject Jesus' words that, that many would experience persecution um, because of him, which is why Paul pleads with Timothy not to be ashamed of him either. I mean, faithful witness led Paul into the prison system. He was challenging the muscle of imperialism with claims of God's kingdom. You know, faithful witness may lead you into moments of suffering. It may, but keep going. Um, don't let it stop you. Even if you set out to, to lead a quiet life, bringing the kingdom into the workplace, engaging relationally with neighbors and showing practical love, using your gifts that God has given you, rather than parenting the gifts of others, I mean, you, you can't avoid the possibility of suffering. But in suffering, God gives us power, love, and self-discipline. To endure trials, to encourage and, and walk with those that endure trials, God gives us power and love and self-discipline for the sake of Christ's name being proclaimed everywhere. Um, so in grade school, I had a, a classmate whose name was Amy, and her spirit animal must have been a mouse. And mine is probably closer to a monkey, I think. I suspect Amy had social anxiety since she didn't have a lot of friends. Um, we went to public school, and, and the locker gossip was that her faith in God made her prudish and awkward. Um, she didn't want to swear or date or make eye contact. I'll be honest, even though I was a Christian, uh, I participated in some of that gossip. But things changed for me during eighth grade when she did an end-of-the-year project talking about the environment in front of the whole, the whole grade. And not only was that probably brave, given how reticent she was, I mean, her ending comments were about the difference her faith makes to her view. She said that believing in a God who made the world helped her to see it as a gift. 
that we have responsibility to care for, almost like a puppy you get for Christmas. You know, I've never been prone to, to anxiety, but I have never before that point joined in the potential suffering of making my faith public. I think that she was smart enough to perceive that people were making fun of her, but that didn't stop her. That day I learned that mice can be braver than monkeys. Use your gifts to share Christ and don't be ashamed. I mean, a, a direct implication of, of the identity of a Christian is the call to trust God and live into what he's called us to be. I mean, in verse 9, Paul says, he saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. That word for holy, that calling into a holy life, hagios, it means being set apart for God, the quality possessed of, of people or things that could approach God safely. I mean, I think about it this way. There are everyday plates. There are special event plates. Then there are plates that only get pulled out of the display case should Queen Elizabeth herself grace your home. I mean, we've got some plates back there of such a quality. And what dishes would you use if Jesus, returning in kingly attire, came to your house, knocked on your door for dinner? I mean, probably the holy ones the ones set aside for special use. I mean, that's the claim that's being made of what God has called us to be. It's an identity marker. It's saying that our lives are going to look different. If you ask me the biggest reason you might get asked to testify before friends, family, colleagues, other people, is because they're picking up on that hagios quality of your life. I mean, have you ever smelled Christian on someone before? I think you can do it. Um, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that we are the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, the fragrance from death to death, and to the other, a fragrance from life to life. I mean, one of those signals of kingdom proximity is how, how, how you're smelling to the person you're talking to, those people catching that Jesus scent on you. As I move to a close... Let's consider that there are three testimonies in this passage, um, which were meant to encourage us and commission us. The first is Paul's testimony in his suffering. The second is Timothy's parents and grandparents, three generations of Christians, um, his mother Eunice, his grandmother Lois. And the, the third is, is Timothy's own testimony. Um, I mean, we have that. We have testimonies of those who came before us, those who've built their lives on Christ, who created a heritage for us to, to, to live into. Um, and Paul's able to say with confidence that, that while he is suffering, he's trusting in God and resting in God. I mean, that's what verse 12 says. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. I mean, he can do this because he trusts God. And this passage reminded me of a famous poem by, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer while he was imprisoned called, Who Am I? I mean, in the first part of the poem, he writes about how others perceive him to be, stepping out of his cells calmly, cheerfully, firmly, like a squire from his country home, he says, speaking to the guards freely as though they were mine to command. And then he writes of what he himself knows himself to be, 
Restless and longing and sick, like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making, faint and ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I then? This one or the other? Am I, am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once a hypocrite before others? And before myself a contemptible, woe-begone weakling? Or is something within me still like a beaten army, fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved? Who am I, they mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. If you're suffering in your faith, be encouraged. Paul suffered. Bonhoeffer suffered. Christians all over the world suffer persecution, some persecution leading to death. And their testimony helps us to see that some things are worth living for and even worth dying for. Now, we think Christians don't have enough rites of passage um, throughout our lives. But perhaps the, the most important one is the initiation into the people of God that begins the journey, the rite of passage of baptism. I've, I've had the gift of performing my first and second ever baptisms this past month during Easter season. First for James Campbell, and then for Isaac Hendricks. Um, and we each have the gift of remembering our baptism, or, baptism, or at least acknowledging that it happened. Um, and because I've had to think about what to say for these moments, I've reflected a lot on the identity marker that sets us apart among God's people. I mean, in, in baptism, there's, there's a shift that occurs where, where much like the knighting ceremony in my teenage experience, we entrust our lives to God, and he gives us a name, an identity to step into, calling us up into what the Bible says we are. I mean, the most important thing about you which I think is so important for evangelism, the most important thing about you is that you are God's now. You belong to God and you can rest in God. And that means that despite suffering, despite fear, despite any potential shame, all these things that exist within time, we are held by a God who exists outside of time, forever. And you can, in that power, love, and self-discipline which God gives you by his own spirit, persevere. In evangelism, we invite people into something incredible, into something that's better than all of the, the glory and toys and possessions that you can buy in this world. We invite people to take on an identity that... that to grow into that fits us way better than all the titles of the world that we can aspire to. A child of God. So children of God, let me commission you like Paul commissioned Timothy. Children of God, ambassadors of the nations. The spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but it gives us power, love, and self-discipline, so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Rather, join in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. People of God, keep carrying that torch. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you seek to encourage us, that you seek to bless us with 
an identity that changes our lives. I thank you that you call us your children. And I thank you that because we are your children, we do not need to be ashamed. And I thank you that we can invite other people into that reality as well. Give us opportunities, we pray. And I pray that we would know how to respond when people smell Christian on us. And help us to encourage the persecuted church. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.